Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Calvary Life DFW's weekly podcast. We hope that these messages encourage and inspire you in your personal journey with Jesus. Enjoy the message. A few, uh, well, I don't know when it was exactly that Pastor Yolanda felt led that we should do the series called Moving Forward based on the life of David. And I think how um, interesting that that here we are all sheltered in place and preaching about moving forward. <laughs> so I think it's I think it's just really the Lord. I really do. I can see God's hand. I mean, we always believe that God leads us, obviously. But but when I I just I just thinking about the irony of that of uh, moving forward while we're all just kind of hunkered down. I thought, wow, God, you are so good. You're so profound in helping us see that we are still. Uh, very engaged in life. We're not. We're not disengaging from life, and we're still engaged with church. And and, and so I just thank God for that, for that um, series that the Lord put on our heart. And right when Pastor Winmar asked me to to share a message in the series, I mean immediately, God brought to me the story of David bringing the ark into Jerusalem. And I mean, I obviously sought the Lord and, and wondered if there's something else, but that's just what I couldn't get away from that particular passage. So that's what we're going to speak on today. So we're going to read from 2 Samuel chapter 6. I guess I should have told you that earlier so you could look it up. 2 Samuel chapter 6, we're going to read verses 1 through 19. So it's kind of a chunk of scripture. So hopefully you can hang on with me um, as we read through the whole passage. Again, David gathered all the choice men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, whose name is called by the name, the Lord of hosts who dwells between the cherubim. So they set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill, and Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, drove the new cart. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill, accompanying the ark of God. And Ahio went before the ark. Then David and all the house of Israel played music before the Lord on all kinds of instruments of fir, of fir wood, on harps, on stringed instruments, on tambourines, on sistrums, and on cymbals. And when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah, and God struck him there for his error, and he died there by the ark of God. And David became angry because of the Lord's out. afraid of the Lord that day and said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? So David would not move the ark of the Lord with him into the city of David, but David took it aside into the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. The ark remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom, <coughs> excuse me, and all his household. Now it was told King David, saying, The Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with gladness. And so it was when those bearing the ark of the Lord had gone six paces 
that he sacrificed oxen and fatted sheep. Then David danced before the Lord with all his might, and David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with, a sh with shouting, with the sound of the trumpet. Now as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, Saul's daughter, which was also David's wife, <clears throat> looked through a window and saw King David leaping and whirling before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. So they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place in the midst of the tabernacle that David had erected for it. Then David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when David had finished offering burnt offerings and peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. Then he distributed among all the people, among the whole multitude of Israel, both the women and the men, to everyone a loaf of bread, a piece of meat, and a cake of raisins. So all the people departed, everyone to his house. <clears throat> so let's just pray. Father, I pray that you would help us today to hear what it is you want to say, that, God, you would speak to every heart, that you would speak to every life. And I pray that you would, that you would touch every home. Today, I pray especially that every home would be touched by the power of your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so, first of all, I want to just talk a little bit about David being a new king, <clears throat> excuse me, and moving forward. So David had, had just become king of the entire nation of Israel. Before that, he had been king of Judah for seven and a half years, but now he had been made king of the entire nation. <clears throat> and, and the very first thing he did was to conquer the city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem was right in the middle of Judah, but it had still been controlled by Jebusites. <clears throat> Excuse me again. Um, for I mean, this had been 400 years since the judges had been in charge of, uh, of, of Israel, and yet, and yet the Jebusites had continued to live and to rule in Jerusalem. But David conquered Jerusalem and made it his capital city. That was the first thing he did. The second thing that he wanted to do was to bring the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem, to his capital city. David, David was a man after God's own heart. He worshipped God, and he recognized that the ark was, was the place of God's presence. It was also God's throne. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. But he wanted the ark to be there with him in the city of Jerusalem, in the capital city. So I want to have to set this up a little bit. So first of all, I want to talk a little bit about the kingdom. So David was, had just become king. He'd been king for seven and a half years. Before him, Saul had been king for 40 years. <clears throat> but before that, Israel was not a unified kingdom. I don't know if we realize that or not. Um, I think we just think of the nation of Israel. But really, it wasn't a nation like we think of it today. It was a loose federation of 12 tribes. And, and when you read about, like, for example, the judges, the various judges in the book of Judges, usually those judges were, <clears throat> were just ruling over one tribe or maybe one region, maybe a couple of tribes. And, and when there would be the, the, the conquerors that would come in and, and would subdue them, that was usually one region. And then God would raise up a judge, and he would set free that region. And they were very autonomous. Every tribe was pretty much on its own. 
I mean, they understood themselves as the Israelites, but they really were not a unified kingdom. I think it's important for us to keep that in mind as we move forward with this message. And so, so Samuel, however, had kind of begun to unify the nation when he was the judge, when he was the he was a prophet and a judge leading the nation of Israel. And he would travel in a circuit. I just love that picture. He would travel from city to city and would teach. And he would minister in city to city. And then he would come back to his home base of Ramah. And there he would be established. But then every year, he would make a circuit around the nation. And in the process of doing that, he began to unify the nation as a whole. Well, that really occasioned the people calling for a king. Because when he was getting old, and it was obviously the, coming to the end of his life, his sons were not really qualified to lead. And the people had pretty much gotten used to becoming a unit, a one-nation people, and they wanted a king to be set over them. And, they, and so that really be, began the whole process of the kingdom coming into place. So Saul had been king for 40 years. It was kind of loose. Because, I mean, if you'll read several times when, when things were getting tough, his armies would just kind of begin to melt away. Because of, the people still had this mindset of being independent. And so, I mean, the king, well, if, if things were tough, you know, leave it to the king. I'm going back home to Ephraim or Manasseh or Zebulun, wherever. And they would just melt away and they would go home. So even though Saul was king, it was still very tenuous. There was not a real solidified sense of kingdom. And so I think what David understood, he understood two things. He needed to create a capital city. He needed a place that was like, this is the capital of our nation. And that's why he conquered Jerusalem. But he also knew this. He knew that he needed to unify the nation around God. He, he knew that worship needed to be the heart and the center of their kingdom. In fact, if you fast forward a, a couple of generations, when Jeroboam split off from Rehoboam and the, and the kingdom split into two, Jeroboam went to the north, and he, he said that if the people go back to Jerusalem to worship, good, their hearts are going to be knit back to, the, 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 to Judah, to the kingdom. And so he established a place of worship in the northern kingdom, and it became very idolatrous. The northern kingdom never really did serve God, but that's another story. But the point being that I wanted to make was that, it, that, that worship became the center. It became the heart of the nation. And so David understood that. Well, I also need to set this up a little bit by talking about the ark. So what is the ark? <clears throat> well, the ark actually goes all the way back to the days of Moses. Back, I mean, and the, I mean right after they had... Um, escaped from Egypt in that first year for the, for the first solid year. They camped at Mount Sinai where God gave them the law and they built the tabernacle. And, and the ark was a part of the tabernacle. The ark was just basically a wooden box. It was like almost four feet long, about three and a half to four feet long, about two feet wide, two feet deep. And, and it was covered with gold. And, and, I mean, it was completely covered in gold. And then on the top, there was a gold mercy seat. I love that, that the mercy of God covers the law of God because inside the, the ark was the law. So you had the law inside, but covering the law was the mercy of God. I just love that picture. 
And, and then also on top of the ark, there were, there were two um, cherubim or angels that were molded along with the mercy seat and they faced one another and their wings covered. They, they, they went inward and they basically covered the ark of the covenant. And, and the ark of the covenant was in the tabernacle. So real quick word about the tabernacle. The tabernacle is this big enclosed area and you would come in and the outer courts were in, included the altar, the, the altar of sacrifices and the, the laver where they washed. And everyone could come in there, and they could bring their sacrifices there. But then there was a tent, and the tent was divided into two, two rooms, the first room being the holy place. And in that room, there was the table of showbread, which I believe represents Christ and or the Word, and I believe it represents both. And then there was a golden candle, candle stick that had seven candle sticks on it, and that shined light over on the Word. And then there was a... A, an altar of incense, which is the prayers and the worship of the saints. And then there was another room. And in that room, you had the Ark of the Covenant. And that's all that was there. And the high priest would go in there once a year. And that, and that, that Ark of the Covenant was the place where God's presence dwelt. God's presence dwelt at the Ark. And also, the Ark was really, it was essentially the throne of God. There are several scriptures that talk about God being the king over all the kingdoms and dwelling between the cherubim. And in Psalm 91, 99, 1, it talks about God reigning from between the cherubim. And so really the ark was, it was not, it was more than symbolic. I mean, it, it truly, it really um, embodied the presence of God. And it also was the throne of God. It's where God it's from where he ruled. God ruled from the throne. And so David understood that. He understood that the ark was the presence of God. And he understood that it was the throne of God. And therefore, he wanted the ark at Jerusalem. Well, one more quick word about the ark. The ark, where was it? It was at the house of Abinadab, which, you know, why was it there? Well, really about 60 to 70 years, and I can't figure out exactly how long it was because I can't find out exactly how long Samuel ruled. But, but for some period of time, the ark had been at the house of Abinadab. Here's what had happened. The, um, the, the Israelites were warring against the Philistines, and they were losing, and they had this bright idea of taking the ark into battle with them basically as a good luck charm. And, and really, um, Eli, Eli was the judge at that time, and his sons were priests along with him, but they were godless men. They were immoral, and they were corrupt. And yet they carried the ark of God into battle. And God did not honor that. And the Philistines actually captured the ark. And they took it back to them, with them. They put it in the, in the temple of their God. And it's, it, that's a whole funny story, really, of how their God fell and I don't have time to go into all the details, but it didn't go well for the Philistines. Let's just put it that way. Their, their God fell. He was broken. And the people suffered. They had plague, evidently some kind of plague because of the rats, and they had tumors. And this lasted for about five months, and they were desperate to get rid of the ark of God because it was not going well for them. And they had devised the plan of having a cart, and they had two milk cows pulling the cart. And the, both milk cows had 
suckling calves. And they said, okay, if the cart goes back to Israel, then this is from God. If, they, if the, cow, the cows turn around and come back to their calves, well, it's just coincidental. Well, the cows went straight to Israel. In fact, the old King James, I love how it says it. It says they went straight to Israel, lowing all the way. They were just mooing all the way. They didn't really want to go. They wanted to go back to their calves, but God was pushing them. I just love that picture. And, the, and so the, the ark had wound up at the house of Abinadab. Why it was there, I have no idea, but it was there, and it had been there ever since. There's one occasion when um, Saul mentioned um, seeking God at the ark, and there's no reference at all of the ark being moved. I don't know if Saul went to the ark. And that's just a very vague reference. But for all we can tell, the ark had been at the house of Abinadab for 60 to 70 years. All right, so that brings us to today's passage. So David says, I want to bring the ark to Jerusalem. Well, I don't know what he was thinking, but he, he devised this plan and all I can think of is he did it because it's how the Philistines had done it. They, he got a new cart, at least it was new, and, and he put the ark on the cart and was going to bring it back that way. Well, that ended tragically, tragically for Uzzah. He reached out because he tried to stabilize the cart. He was struck dead, and I, that's another whole story. We're not going to get into that today. But, um, but so David was greatly distressed. And so for, for three months... The, the, um, the ark stayed at the house of another person, Obed-Edom. Well, obviously, during that period of time, David did what he should have done to begin with. But at least he did it now. He began to seek the scriptures. How is it that God wants us to carry the ark? So that's lesson number one for us today. When we want to bring the presence of God into our lives, we have to do it God's way. We can't copy the ways of the world. David had obviously thought, well, that's how the Philistines did it, so let's just do it that way too. And, it did, and God had honored it for the Philistines, but he didn't because the Philistines were getting rid of the presence of God. But David was wanting to bring the presence of God to them. And so he had to do it God's way. First, First Chronicles chapter 15, I'm not going to turn there, but it, it just references... It goes into a little bit more detail of David calling the Levites together and saying, sanctify yourselves. Remember, Eli's sons were very corrupt and immoral. But David said to the Levites, you sanctify yourselves because you are the only ones who are able to carry the ark. The ark had rings down the side of it. And, and, it had, and they would stick poles through those rings. And the priests, the Levitical priests, would carry the ark on those poles. No one was to ever touch the ark. Because God gives us his presence, but we don't usurp it. We don't take it on our own. He gives us his presence. And so they, he said, you guys have to carry this. And so he did it the right way. And they brought the ark back to Jerusalem. I love this in verse... Um, well, I can't find it. Verse 13, and so it was when those bearing the ark, and so that's the picture of the priest bearing the ark on the poles. They're not carrying it on a cart. They're not holding it with their hands. They're carrying it with the poles through the rings. But when they had gone six paces, they stopped and they sacrificed oxen and sheep. 
So what is significant about that? The word six, the number six, is commonly understood to be the number of humanity, or it, it could also be considered an incomplete number. Seven is considered the perfect number, the number of perfection. It's the number of God. And, and I don't have time to obviously dig through and show you how all of that shows up. But the num but number six is commonly considered to be the number of humanity. It's also an incomplete number. And so it's as if David had walked six steps to the end of his humanity. And he thought, okay, this is as far as I can go on my own. Now I have to stop and worship God. And so lesson number two is this, is that we have to always be dependent upon God. We can't ever think that we can do things on our own. We can press ahead on our own. No matter how capable we think we are, we are ultimately incapable and inadequate and insufficient, and we need to rely on the Lord. And so six steps, they stop and they worship. Some commentators feel like they did that every six steps. I can't find any verification for that, so I don't know that that's true. But that is, that is, um, uh, that is one belief, that they, they sacrificed every six steps. Well, it was about a 10-mile journey. That would have taken a while. But anyhow, I know that after the first six steps, they stopped and they sacrificed. <laughs> Amen. So, so then David came to, and I want to talk a little bit about verse 17. So they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place in the midst of the tabernacle that David had erected for it. Now, one interesting thought is, is that in the first effort to bring the ark back to Jerusalem, there's no mention of a tabernacle being established. Now, that doesn't mean there wasn't, but it certainly isn't mentioned. And I think that we probably could assume that maybe there wasn't one erected. Because remember, David had had three months to do some studying. He had three months to consult the Levites and the priests, and they had pretty much been um, pushed aside under Saul's leadership. And so he was bringing them back to the forefront, and he had consulted them. And, he, and so he, one, at least one commentator believes that David was probably just going to bring the ark back to his house. It had been in the house of Abinadab for 70 years, 60 years. And so David probably, and I think this is, I think it's reasonable to conclude this. I don't, I wouldn't make a case for it, but I think it's reasonable to conclude that he just thought I'll bring it from Abinadab's house to my house. Well, now that he had had three months to study, he realized that wasn't sufficient. And, and, the, and the ark of God needed its own house. It needed the house of worship. And, and so I think the thing that is so critical here, and I, I, I really hope we can get this, is that David was the king, but God was ultimately the king. So David was ruling in the natural, but God was ruling in the spiritual. And the throne, the, the ark, was literally the throne of God. And so David, as king, needed to recognize that even though he was king, he was under God as the ultimate king. And so for him just to bring the ark into his house, if that's what he planned on doing, would have been to confuse the two. It would have been to make God just somehow a part of his kingdom. 
But he could, God could not be a part of anybody's kingdom. God had to be the king, and it is his kingdom. And David was ruling under God as the king. And so when he established the ark, the tabernacle, as a place for the ark to be established, then that, that set up God as the king. Well, it's very interesting. Leona mentioned this a few weeks ago in her message. But immediately after the ark is set up, in, in Chronicles, in the Chronicles um, account of this, chapters 18 and 19 is two solid chapters of conquest after conquest of David conquering enemies all around him and of the kingdom, of his kingdom expanding outward and reaching a, a, a very vast domain. And that all came in with God being established as the king, as worship being established at the heart of the kingdom. And then the last thing I want to mention is this, is that in verse 19, it says he distributed to all the people, um, to men and women, to both. And I think that's very interesting too. To everyone, a loaf of bread, a piece of meat, and a cake of raisins. So in other words, all of the households were blessed. Every, all of that is symbolic of blessing being given. A piece of meat, a cake of raisins. And each of those have some significance that we don't have time to discuss this morning. But he, and a loaf of bread. And he gave each person, every single household was, was blessed because of the ark being brought into the nation. I love that picture. All right, so how does all this apply to us? So that's all the that's the introduction. Here's the message. So, <laughs> so but the message is going to be short, I promise. So, <laughs> so what is the application of all this? I mean, how does all this fit us? What, what, what do we do with this? Well, I have three thoughts really that I want to draw from it. Number one is this: is that is that the the ark was at the center of the kingdom, and. And, and, and I didn't really mention this, but there was worship that was, that was set up and established in front of the ark every single day, morning and night. They were worshiping and they were sacrificing before the ark every single day. And, and I, what I see in that is the church as a, an intercessory body before God on the behalf of our nation. And I think especially at this season of time with the coronavirus and all that's going on, it, it should always be a part of our thinking. But right now, I believe God can cause us to realize, wow, we need to be standing before God. We need to be worshiping God. We need to be interceding before God on behalf of our nation. If you remember what I just said, they had the, you had the earthly kingdom, you had the spiritual kingdom. And we are the spiritual kingdom. I, I thank God for America. I thank God for separation of church and state. If you read the history of Europe and how the church was intertwined with the, with the politics, it was, a, it was a chaotic mess. And thank God for, for the wisdom of our forefathers to understand the need to separate the two. And so, But that doesn't mean that we don't influence. And we do influence. And we do affect. And we do intercede. And, I, and in fact, I believe, and I've, I've preached this before, but I believe the church needs to understand. I just don't really believe we understand our role before God as intercessors. I think individually we should pray regularly for our nation. We should pray regularly for our leaders. We should pray regularly for the church 
in America as well. And I don't think that I don't, I don't, I'm not saying you don't do that, but I just don't know how much we do that. And I think as a church, we should get, when we gather for prayer, it should always include prayer for our nation. And I thank God in fervor prayer, in our monthly fervor prayer, that we do pray for the nation. And I thank God for that. We should stand before God and believe God and intercede for the nation. We are the heart of the nation. We, we are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. And so that's the first lesson I learned from this. The second lesson I learned from this is that every household was blessed. I love that picture. Every household. And so I think it's very unique that here we are today. Your house is your church, right? You're at home in church this morning. And so here we are that God would want to establish the heart of worship in every home. And I pray if anything, I mean, I know a lot of good is going to come out of this time. God is great at taking bad situations and bringing good out of them. But one of the good things, one of the good things that I pray will come out of this is that God will have established in your heart that, you know what, our house can be a place of worship. Our house can be the center of our spiritual life. Thank God for Calvary Life Church, but it is not the central of your spiritual life. Your house is the center of your spiritual life. And God would help you establish even, even times of worship where you worship God together as a family. But, but even beyond that, there, there would be a sense of this is the house of God, that you have a, you have a, a, a realization of God's presence in your home and that you honor God's presence in your home, and that you sanctify your household, obviously, because God's dwelling there. So I see this lesson of every home being blessed, of every home being a house of worship, of every home being a place of intercession and prayer, a place where God dwells. Amen? And the third thing I get from this is that every single person becomes a house of worship, 1 Corinthians 3 says that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We, so we're the temple. We're the tabernacle. We're the place where God's presence is set up. We're the place where worship takes place. We're the place where intercession occurs. In our heart, in your heart, in my heart, so individually that we would recognize we need to bring in the ark. We need to bring in the presence of God. We need to bring in the throne of God into our own hearts so that every single individual will recognize that God is ruling in our lives. And I want to talk about that just a little bit more. I feel like that one of the great things that come out of, that can come out of this time is a, is a deepened awareness of your personal relationship with God. So I want to say this, and I say it lovingly. I don't say it condemningly or critically at all. But I just feel like for so many people, the Sunday morning gathering kind of becomes your catch-all for your spirituality. And, and it's not that you don't love the Lord and you do walk with the Lord during the week and you probably talk with the Lord and maybe read the Word some. But, but for too many people, we have learned to, to rely on that Sunday morning gathering. as that, That's kind of our recharging moment. That's kind of when we... We get refocused on the Lord, and that's all good. We, we want that. But that cannot, be, that cannot be the essence of your spirituality. 
Your spirituality needs to be your personal walk with the Lord. So we have church, and we have house, and we have individuals. And at every single level, we want the presence of God, and we want the throne of God to be established. Well, I pray that that will be a blessing for you. I hope it is. Um, I, uh, it's kind of odd speaking to you, but not able to hear you or see you, but I trust that you've been blessed by it. And I want to pray Pastor Winmar is going to come or Pastor Yolanda. I'm not sure who's coming to, to wrap us up. But I do want to just pray. Father, thank you for the power of your word. Thank you, Lord God, for this lesson. And I know that you, you recorded it for a purpose. You recorded it not just to have a nice story, but to teach us and to model for us the, the, the truth of the ark of the covenant, the present, your presence, your kingdom being established in our church, in our homes, in our lives, and the church establishing it in the king, in the nation. I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope this message was impactful to you. If you would like to hear more, please remember to subscribe. For more information, you can visit our pages on both Facebook and Instagram. God bless you and have a great rest of the week.